0: Hey, friends, and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 234. You may already be following our guest today on Instagram. She goes by the name Cowgirl Kate, and she also is the founder of Lucky Break Rescue and Coral West Adventures. I wanted to have her on today to talk about her rescue horses, female entrepreneurship, and sustainable fashion. Had to get some fashion in there too. She's a kindred spirit all the way on the West Coast in the Western world, and I thought it would be so fun to have her on. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Kate Luca. Well, let's get right to it. Tell me how you first kind of found yourself in the horse world.
1: Gosh, I I always say I think horse girls are just born. I don't know that it's something Mm -hmm. that's inherited. My parents were not horse people. My grandpa back in the day owned a draft team, Uh, but that's about... You know, the closest I got to being a horse girl and I paid for lessons, my parents paid for me to board and lease horses, but my first horse I ever owned was in my twenties and he was a rescue horse. And I think that's why I'm so loyal to the rescues today because I sort of have imposter syndrome sometimes and feel like an outsider. You know, I was never able to excel in any one discipline. I've done hunter jumper, dressage, Western pleasure, all of the above, just because I wanted to be around the horses. And that's what was most important to me.
0: How did you first kind of decide that you wanted to go the rescue route for when you got your first horse?
1: Sure. So originally I was involved in dog rescue. Uh, I had a small dog rescue for hunting breeds, bird dogs, and I realized that there's no such thing as a bad animal. There's a lack of training. There's bad situations in humans' lives that allow animals to end up in bad situations. And the horses were just a macro version of that. Um, So it started with dogs. My mom was an animal rescuer, and then it graduated to horse rescue.
0: So tell me a little bit, obviously you said like with your experience with dog rescue, and then that translating over to horse rescue, tell me what your experience was like, kind of picking your horse, finding, finding your horse, that whole deal.
1: Sure. Uh, well, growing up when I was a little girl, my Western pleasure horse was a giant Appaloosa named Zane, um, strawberry roan varnish, just beautiful. And I was on the internet one day and someone tagged me in a Facebook post. I mean, this horse probably had a body score of one of an Appaloosa that looked just like my Dan. And I started reading and he was tagged in a kill pen in South or North Carolina. I can't remember now. Um, And my heart just dropped because horses had always been this unattainable regal thing to me. And I couldn't believe that for $600, I could buy an Appaloosa, get him home, rehab him and own my first horse. Uh, So Zane, the Appaloosa, he looked just like Dan, I rehabbed him. And then ultimately a year later purchased Corral West in Arizona. And he was sort of the inspiration. Okay. What if I can do trail rides, generate revenue? cover my nut when it comes to hay hay bills, farrier bills, vet bills, employee costs, all of that, and rescue more horses. And now we're at about 315 horses since Zane. It just sort of snowballs out of control. Yeah. (laughs) I just kept rescuing good horses that needed, you know, just good farrier work. They just needed feed. They needed training. Um, And ultimately we've been an all rescue trail ride operation for three years. And that's a testament to the the quality of horses that end up in bad situations. I'm certainly not Pat Pirelli or Clinton Anderson. I'm not a horse trainer, Uh, but I think with confidence, love and security and surrounding yourself with people that know more about horses than you, anything is possible.
0: Wow. How cool. You talk about your herd, obviously you have rescued so many. How many are with you currently? Like what's your, your current number?
1: Sure. So we're wrapping up the season, so a lot of them are being adopted out. But at the peak of season in the winter here in Arizona, we have about 30 rescues at a time. I have my core group of lifers that will never leave, including Zane. Um, And then actually all of our horses get adopted out to people that we know, which is really great. We require references, buyback contracts, all of that. So it's really cool to see them graduate and go on to be little girls' first horses or to go on and be barrel racing or breakaway roping horses. Um, you know, it's a, it's bittersweet, but the more I can adopt out
0: to people, I trust the more room we
1: have to take new intakes.
0: Totally. Let's back up a minute. I want to hear kind of how a Corral West adventure started from that, like from the first horse you rescued to then going through so many and rescuing so many. I mean, was it just kind of like one horse at a time and happened naturally or how did it all go down? Kind of a combination
1: of both, actually. So I bought the business and I was originally leasing horses from operations in Wyoming that were closed for the summer, which was great. They were been there, done that horses. But what happened was I was simultaneously bringing in new rescues that were actually better horses than the horses I was paying to use. Um, And so we started integrating the rescues once they were rehabbed as Wrangler horses, and then ultimately as guest horses, and then we weaned ourselves off of leasing horses from Wyoming. Um, We worked with a sister rescue, Heart for Horses as well, and there was a day where she dropped 12 horses off straight from the kill pen in Texas to me, and we started riding through them, lunging them out, seeing how they were for the farrier, Um, and we still have some of those horses to this day.
0: So cool. Tell me why it is so important to you to use only rescue horses for your operation.
1: I love that question because when I initially started, you know, I was a woman in my 20s in a male-dominated industry. Um, There's probably 20-some trail ride operations down here during peak tourist season. Most of them are owned by men. Actually, it's becoming more women now as the new guard is graduating and the old guard, or as the old guard's graduating and the new guard is rolling in. Sure. Um, but I I was concerned from an insurance perspective and a reputation perspective that if something happened, they people would blame my rescues. So the first few years, I was pretty quiet about it. And then I read, read uh, Simon Sinek's Start With Your Why. And I realized mm-hmm. these guys are my why. They're my passion. I shouldn't be ashamed. No, I wasn't ashamed of them, but I didn't want to create a PR shitstorm, for lack of a better word. Yeah, And I was like, man, I stand behind these guys. I put six-year-olds that have never ridden on them. I put grandparents on them and I should start leading with that. And ultimately what happened is we doubled our revenue. People started choosing us over the competition because of our mission. And so I have a little regret, a little bit of regret that I didn't champion these guys sooner. And so now I feel like on my social media platforms, I'm making up for lost time because for every single guest that my horses take out, that's a life-changing experience for another person who may turn around and rescue horses or tell their neighbor about the plight of slaughterhouse horses in the United States. Um, so I've, I feel like I've done a 180, and I'm really proud of that, and I wish I had done it sooner. You know, I wish I had been less worried about what people would think. And now as I'm in my 30s, I'm so secure in who I am, and I don't care what people think. I have great horses. Oftentimes, they're better behaved than friends' horses that they purchased for five figures.
0: Totally. And thankfully, rescuing horses and supporting rescue organizations seems to become um, more and more of a, you know, I like talked about topic. I feel like for a while it wasn't. And so it's been cool. It kind probably kind of coincided with your journey to, you know, voice your passion for rescue that the rest of the industry, you know, started following suit more and more. Why do you think that there are so many horses that need rescuing? Like, why is this such a big problem in our industry?
1: You know, I'm sure you're a lot like me. To me, my animals are my pets and they're my family. I think Mm -hmm. there's a huge portion of the horse community where they are a tool um, to be utilized. And once they require maintenance, they get dumped, particularly in the ranching world, horse racing world, things like that. And I think same with dogs. Overbreeding is a huge problem. I have the utmost respect for responsible breeders who are breeding, you know, thoughtfully and, you know, registered animals, jockey club, AQHA, all of that. But I have seen so much bad backyard breeding. Um, I just heard yesterday that a woman adopted a grade Arab from a rescue, (laughs) which should have been in their contract and is now breeding it. So I think there's things like that. Oh, I sometimes wow. feel, feel like Bob Barker, you know, spay and neuter your pets. One eight hundred geld that shit. You know, if you don't, <laughs> if, if you if you don't have a stud that goes back to Secretariat or Poco Bueno, why are you breeding your grade animals when you can't mm-hmm. when you can't afford to feed the mare itself? Um, I also think it's lack of training, especially this time of year. I will see hundreds of mareful pairs in the kill pens or at auction that are also bred back and completely unhandled with messed up feet. You know, so I think as horse owners we have to put pressure on other horse owners to do better and support the
0: good breeders. What can we do to help rescue organizations? Like what what can other horse people do that's the most helpful? I, I always tell folks, start
1: by volunteering at your local 501c3 or donating, sign up for their Patreon account for five bucks a month. Um, you know, the 501c3s that have gone through the process, I always lean into them. It costs a little bit of money. They've done the due diligence, always give them their support. And then awareness. Obviously, adopting one horse is putting a Band-Aid over a gaping wound but we need legislative change as well. Um, Animal rights people got horse slaughter outlawed here in the United States, I believe it was 2007, and they patted themselves on the back and said, yay, no more horses are going to be killed. But basic economics with supply and demand, it wasn't illegal to export them to Mexico and Canada. So what actually happened is more horses are being slaughtered at a higher price, sort of with this underbelly in the meat market, and they're shipping them to Mexico and Canada. And Mexico specifically does not have the humane standards that, let's say, a beef processing plant here in the United States does. Um, So I think the first step is rescuing a horse. That's wonderful. You're changing the trajectory for that one animal, which is important, but also raising awareness and having horse people see that this is a huge problem. And when you sell your horse without any due diligence on your part, it's ultimately one owner away from auction and the slaughterhouse pipeline.
0: What do you think are maybe some misconceptions about horse rescue?
1: Mm. Uh, Well, to be fair, some misconceptions I've seen, uh, my horses work, they're well cared for, we never have to beg for money because my business supports the rescue. But I've seen a lot of rescues that are glorified hoarding situations. Um, So I think supporting the the good and great rescues out there is pertinent. Uh, And I think for the horses themselves, there's a lot of negative stereotypes or stigmas that they're lame, that they're crazy, that they're outlaws, that they did something to deserve to be there. And I've pulled horses out of keel pens that have competed at the World Series of Roping in Las Vegas I've pulled wow. champ, champion hunter jumpers that have Oldenburgs that have been rehabbed and gone on to teach lessons with kiddos. Um, you know, so I think it's never horse error. Even if a horse is a bad horse, that is due to lack of training in my perception. Um, out of 300 and some rescues, I've had one horse that we weren't able to break through with. He was a senior. He'd been a rough stock, buck and bronc, you know, his entire life. He ultimately got West Nile and passed away at quarantine. But He was the only one that we couldn't break through, have a great moment, find his niche, and redirect him to something else. And so I think those are really good odds considering what these horses come from.
0: Taking a little break because I am so excited to talk about our sponsor today, Jiv Athletics. Have you heard of them? They provide women the comfort and confidence they deserve within everyday athletic wear, which all starts with what's underneath. Jiv Athletics is an athletic undergarment company that specializes in performance underwear for women. Not only does Jiv Athletics offer ultra premium quality, their undergarments are breathable, wickable, tagless, roll free. And camel toe proof. Inspired to end constant underwear tugging during a workout or a ride, Jiv Athletics creates undergarment pieces to fit to make wearing yoga pants or breeches all the more comfortable. Using breathable luxe fabrics, this woman-owned brand understands the importance of eliminating unsightly silhouettes with a patent-pending 3d mold spacer that blurs the lines between tech and fashion. I just recently got my first pair of Jiv Athletics underwear and it is the most incredible pair of underwear that I have ever owned. I give all my thoughts and some more information about Jiv Athletics over on my lifestyle page, my equestrian style. But if you want to check out more information and the products that they have, head over to their website at jivathletics.com. That's J-I-V-A-T-H-L-E-T-I-C-S. Com. Thank you so much, Jiv Athletics. You are amazing, and I cannot wait to see you more and more in the horse community. All right, let's head back to the episode. Do you have a favorite success story from one of your rescues?
1: Oh, man, that's That's Sophie's choice. I don't know that I can pick a favorite. (laughs) Obviously, obviously, there's Zane, uh, but we rescued an unhandled bred mare named Luna. She was a quarter horse and she had been bred as a yearling. Um, She got to my place. Her body score without being pregnant was probably a one. Uh, Not sound. She had a lot of health issues. The following day, she delivered a stillborn colt that was half her size. Uh, It completely prolapsed her uterus. It split her from you know, top to bottom. And our vet capped my bill for me because it was the saddest thing he'd ever seen. He said she didn't, she didn't even have her two-year-old teeth. Um, And now she's winning one and two D barrel races against high dollar horses. Uh, She's a breakaway roping horse now, and she's with her forever mom. And it just brings me joy because her mom doesn't even know how bad of a case she was when we got her. Um, Wow. So I think, both the physical and mental transformation there as an unhandled mayor to this woman's go-to barrel racing horse. It is, it's just a really big privilege for me to be sort of the halfway house.
0: Absolutely. Wow. That gave me chills. That's so cool.
1: You know, and, and it's, I feel like Ron Burgundy, I'm in a glass case of emotion all the time. You know, I, I get so disgusted with people sometimes, but then we, I meet so many amazing people on this journey that it, it's just up and down all the time.
0: So you have your business, you have your rescue organization and on top of that, you are the face of your Instagram, Cowgirl Kate, which showcases your horses and life out West and your amazing fashion sense. What would you say are some things that you've like you've learned about balancing your passions? Um, I can definitely relate. I, I'm <laughs> constantly juggling a few things. I always tell people I have three full-time jobs. <laughs> but what would you say about balancing your passions with your business?
1: Sure. Uh, Well, I am just a very passionate person inherently, and I don't do idle well. Um, So there are some days that are more stressful than others, but if I'm not going, and I'm sure you're the same, if I'm not going a hundred miles an hour, I don't feel right. Totally.
0: It's like if I have a deadline for like a week from now, I won't do it until the night before. But if I have like this tiny, like 30 minute time slot to get something done. Like I will get it done.
1: I I thrive on chaos and I'm sure there's (laughs) something with my horoscope or my Enneagram or whatever that makes me the way I am. But I don't know if your husband is like this. My husband balances me and he's the yin to my yang. He's the logistics person. Um, I love the book rocket fuel because I'm the visionary and he's the implementer. Um, Mm. You know, I'm the, a big pipe dream, big idea person. And he's the one that makes sure that it happens for me. Um, and everything I do is passion driven, which I think prevents burnout from happening. Right.
0: Yeah. I always get asked the question, like, how do you like do all of it? And <laughs> I'm always like, well, uh, like the podcast and my equestrian style and my training, like, I love I like genuinely love all three of them and so I like how each day is a little different and it's jam packed but it's like all like for the most part I mean obviously not it's not always sunshine and rainbows but um there are like the core of everything I do I really love and I truly don't I really do feel like it it helps not getting burned out.
1: And the thing that I love is you exude the the feeling that you love it. And so it's easy to see that even though you're juggling three plates at one time, you're doing it well because you genuinely love what you do and you're passionate about equestrian lifestyle and style. And that's the difference. And what I always tell my friends who are in their twenties who are small business owners, or maybe just employees, if you're not doing what you love it, no amount of money makes up for that.
0: Exactly. Yep. And
1: if you're not passionate and if you're not excited every morning, when you wake up, even if it's a Monday morning, you're doing something wrong and it's not worth selling your soul for.
0: Right. Absolutely. As a female entrepreneur and female owned business owner, what have been some challenges that you've faced over, you know, this period of time in your life? Gosh,
1: is a really good question. Uh, I try not to, well, you know, I try to look at the challenges as just stumbling blocks or fortifiers, mm-hmm. really. Uh, but COVID, COVID was a huge one. You know, I had spent a handful of years building up my business, giving the, reputa- the rescues a really great reputation, and then to have our business and revenue stream completely pulled out from underneath us was a challenge. Um, we weren't able to take in as many horses as we normally could, just because financially we needed to batten down the hatches. And that was really heartbreaking to see great horses ending up at auction at the pens, on Craigslist due to other people's financial challenges with the virus. Um, and so I just really felt frustrated and locked that I couldn't help more when other people were struggling because I had to be able to reopen my doors the following year and live to rescue another day.
0: Wow. Yeah, definitely. So when you're not, the, the little period of time in your life where you're not working, (laughs) what do you like to do for fun? I mean, it's so, I feel like I love that you live out West and it's just like a completely different lifestyle. So what do you like to do?
1: So I actually have a full-time job uh, working for a 501c3 nonpartisan political group. And so I travel for that across the West and often Alex and the dogs will come with me or we'll trailer the horses up and we'll tack on a day on a weekend where we can go ride Um, Alex is an avid hunter. I love to read. Um, I, I do not, like I said, I do not sit still very well. So if I'm home for more than three or four days at a time without an an adventure, I start to get itchy feet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I totally feel that. Um, and it's fun. It's so fun following along on your Instagram. It's, full of beautiful photos, and um, you have a lot of great fashion moments. I, I Have you always been into fashion? What what kind of role does clothing and style play in your life?
1: Gosh, uh, did my mom pay you to say that? Because I don't feel like I have <laughs> really? great great fashion sense <laughs> oh, compared to, come on. To some women. Um, <laughs> you know, and actually, I, I have to give credit to the small businesses that we work with. Every single brand collaboration that I do as, quote-unquote, Cowgirl Kate, my my personal brand, Every single paid collab is a donation to our 501c3. And so a lot of times those, and most of them are female-owned businesses, which is awesome on both fronts for me. Um, And so those women will send me stuff to wear. So I really can't take credit. Um, And then the photographers make me look good too, to be honest. Um, Like (laughs) like right now I'm sitting in my husband's gym shorts and a t-shirt. So it's very disappointing in real life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is so funny. Yeah, I always like to tell people, I'm like, they're like, Oh, you your like Instagram always looks so like perfect and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Oh, well you should just like watch my stories because that's <laughs> like, I'm just like sweaty and gross and not wearing cute clothes all the time. Like that's my, my, it's more of my like portfolio or inspiration on my Instagram feed, but the that's, stories are a little bit more. That's real such
1: time. a, that's such a great way to put it. And I always feel like Milton Manasco, you know, it's, it's horse girl energy and real horse girl energy is. Yep feeding the horses and my flip-flops and a bun on the top of my head and no makeup. Um, but I do, you know, I'm, I'm a person who loves tradition and history. And so when I was doing hunter jumper stuff in high school and college, I loved wearing my breeches and my, and my boots and my jacket. Um, and same with the Western world. I feel like I have to pay homage to the women before us. And in this case, it's the Western woman, it's turquoise and leather and chinks and, It's a privilege for me to be able to do that. And I hope someday when I have children and they're women, they feel empowered, whether they're writing English, whether they're writing Western, um, you know, and there's a history to that that I really love.
0: You have, I know you've mentioned being passionate about like vintage and repurposed clothes and accessories that are really timeless and, you know, made to last. Why is that aspect important to you?
1: You know, I think the first and foremost is, is for the environment. I think supporting businesses. Well, and I love the story of vintage clothing too. And same with old books. I love going to use bookstores and seeing, oh, yeah. you know, and seeing who dedicated this book to who and who gave it in to that person for Christmas in 1975. I, I just, as a, as a history buff, I can feel the history in vintage clothes. I can feel the history in used in old tack and the smell of old leather. Um, and I think it's good for our environment. And I think it's really cool that there's a lot of female business owners out there that own vintage shops online and that, you know, people complain about social media a lot, but I try to see the silver lining that it's provided a lot of small business, female entrepreneurs, a platform to really carve out their niche. And that's really cool to me. And I love supporting them.
0: Totally. Yeah. I was going to ask, where do you like to find some of your favorite pieces?
1: Oh man, that is a, again, Sophie's choice. Uh, Kaleidoscope Vintage is great. Rice and Beans Collective is wonderful. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I'll, I'll have to follow up with you on that, but yeah, I have, and, and then gosh, turquoise. I would rather get used vintage turquoise. And when I travel for work, my favorite thing to do to kill time is visit thrift stores, secondhand tax stores, and try to, oh, yeah. and try to find that treasure. You know, instead of sitting at a bar or a coffee shop, you know, I'll get my work done and then I'll hit some of those secondhand vintage stores. And it's kind of a treasure hunt for me.
0: Totally. I know in past interviews, you've shared certain quotes or mottos that have influenced you as you've embarked on kind of various pursuits throughout your life. Do you have a particular quote or motto that is motivating you these days? Gosh, that you are asking some great
1: questions. I love it. <laughs> um, you know, the thing that gets me through on the tough rescue days is we can't all do great things, but we can do small things with great love. And whenever I have a difficult rescue day, that gets me through, or, you know, I'll sit with the rescues and just drink a beer and realize that even though I don't feel like I'm making a monumental change, I made a monumental change for them. Um, And I also think for any women out there that are doubting themselves, whether it's in small business relationships, you know, a 501c3 effort, if someone tells you you can't do something, do it twice and take pictures. And I think that's sort of how the Instagram thing happened too. you know, I've always been underestimated. The rescues have always been underestimated. And so it's been really fun to surround myself with great people that support us and show, you know, the first time Zane was in a Wrangler ad, I cried like a baby because my $600 horse was in a multi million dollar company's yeah. advertisement. Uh, so cool. And and so I just I think for all of us as women, we need to get out of our own way too you know, a lot of times I see women holding themselves back or waiting to launch when our male counterparts don't do that. Um, You know, women have to be told seven times or encouraged seven times to do something, whether it's running for office, starting a business. Um, And I think that's wrong. I think we have to do a better job of getting out of our own way and supporting each other.
0: What would you say is an area of the horse world that you're really passionate about that you feel like people in the industry either just don't know a lot about or don't talk enough about?
1: Gosh, that's a really great question. I mean, obviously my easy answer would be giving a rescue horse a chance, but I also think female owned businesses in general are not as accepted outside of the horse world as as they should be. Um, Mm. you know, sometimes I feel like I'm in my bubble and on social media, there's so much female synergistic activity happening. But then when you look from the outside in, female business owners are still the minority when you look at the United States. Um, And so I think having female business owners, especially in the equine world, branching out and growing their brands is going to ultimately lift women up everywhere because a rising tide lifts all ships. So sometimes my only complaint with social media is, we we exist in a vacuum in a bubble, and I want women to spread their wings and you know get in Cosmo magazine, get in, get on Sephora um, mm-hmm. with your small business. So I, that was kind of a roundabout answer, but that's just kind of a trend that
0: I've seen when I zoom out from the equestrian Western world. Totally, yeah. I think there's, all, I think all of us are doing amazing things within the industry and it like, why not branch out to mainstream? Exactly.
1: Um, And maybe that's a confidence issue. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's just lingering sexism. I'm not sure what it is, but at the end of the day, I think
0: we should all be supporting each other outside of the equestrian world. Definitely. Well, Kate, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on out of your busy schedule from what it sounds like. (laughs) Um, I think what you're doing is so incredible and you just keep killing it with whatever you do. And so I love watching that well, I love watching your journey. And I wish you all the best. I literally want to come out and visit either Arizona or Utah, depending on the year. The time well, of year.
1: well, please keep me posted. I am so grateful for the opportunity and you are crushing it. I, I love seeing women like you killing it in multiple areas. And I think that's the thing that makes us really fascinating as women is we can juggle multiple things and men are a little more single track minded. So I appreciate you. I know you're a kindred spirit and I am so grateful for the opportunity to talk about the rescues.
0: All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.